Thanks for checking out the Refuge Official Podcast. Wherever you're from, we hope that this message will encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, here's our lead pastor, Matthew Malik. Let's join our faith together. Father, we honor you in this place, and, and we thank you that we have opportunities that we can share life together and, and laugh. But Father, there's some serious things at, at stake in our culture today and the world around us. And Father, we look to you for wisdom, for insight. Father, we ask that you help, Father, us in our dilemmas and the things that we face, the things that we struggle with. We thank you for bringing order to disorder and calm the most violent of storms that we might face. We thank you that in the day that people are turning from you, Father, we are turning to you. We are looking to you. We are calling on your name. In Jesus' name, we thank you for anointing this time as we share the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we've been on a series this entire summer. Uh, we took a break a couple of weeks ago, but we're talking about core values, the core values that we have as a church at Refuge. And core values, actually, we have 12 of them. But core values, uh, each week we're featuring, featuring a different one. And I kind of was thinking about it because we've been talking about it and giving different definitions. I love Sam's message last week, and he did a great job bringing the word. And uh, I'm going to talk, uh, make a couple comments about that in just a moment. But I was thinking about core values because it's something central. It's something at the center. A core value is a belief. It's a conviction. It's a philosophy that is central to what we believe and how we are to live our lives to serve others to conduct business, to deal with family, to deal with life's issues. A core value will determine what direction you go and how you handle the crisis in a situation. And at, at Refuge, our core values are really based upon biblical truth, biblical principles that really sets the gauge for how we live our lives. And at Refuge, we believe that all people matter to God, matter to God. This is a place where we can grow while finding authentic hope, purpose, and love through Jesus. That's really our vision statement. Now, so far, and all of these messages are on podcast for free. You can go online and check them out if you missed a Sunday or two. But uh, the first one is we are people who cannot be broken. We are a family that will always forgive. Peacemakers in a world at war a body that when damaged will heal, a safe place for poor and for rich. And I need to take a pause there. Apparently, I was rushing through my message a few weeks ago when I was talking about refuge being a safe place for the poor and for the rich. And I actually forgot to give you one of the points. And there were some very perceptive people that asked me after the service, what was point number three? And I said, didn't you get it? And I, I actually had to listen to the podcast to realize I didn't announce the point, even though I kind of covered the point. So for those of you that are still waiting, and you may have watched the podcast, and you realize I didn't share it in the podcast, uh, I'm going to give it to you today. And then you can just feel comfortable, okay? Um, some people have to have, you can't miss a point, right? And the theme scripture for that message was in Proverbs 22, verse 2. It says, the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. So that's something we all share in common. doesn't matter your economic status. But point number one for the message, I'll give you all four points if you're taking notes. 
the first point was the poor and the rich have both been exploited in our society. We talked about that. Point number two was we are not to have respect of persons or disrespect of persons based on their economic status. We should never be a judge of that matter. How somebody looks, what they have, what they don't have. Point number three, this is the one I forgot to give you. With wealth comes responsibility. Whatever has been entrusted to you gives you, you need to be responsible with it. No matter how little or how much it is, there's a responsibility of stewardship that you have. And then the fourth point was poverty is a curse that Jesus broke and redeemed us from, according to Galatians 3.13. And, and I just wanted to share this because something that God spoke to me a number of years ago is actually in the country of Uganda, Africa. And I was meeting with a pastor, and he was showing me his church facility. And we walked into the church. It was dirt floor. It was very simply constructed. And this, this pastor was talking to me about his vision of, of reaching his community. And as he was speaking, the Lord interrupted and began to speak something to me. And he, he said that I've called refuge to be a resource ministry to others, to be a place of resource. And, and then, and I thought, okay, yeah, that's, that's good. I can receive that, Lord. But to be a resource means you have to be resourced so that you can respond in the time of need or crisis. Like this past week with the power outages, the community came together to help each other, to meet the needs uh, that were lacking in the community. And it was a beautiful thing to see agencies coming together and neighbors coming together to help each other out. And if you are still in the situation, if your power is not on, if you need trees to be removed, let us know because we can round people up to help you guys to get through this. You don't have to deal with it alone, okay? And so as I'm uh, with this past in Uganda, now we're back to Uganda, okay? Um, God speaks this to me, and I, I, I can remember saying, Lord, uh, yes, that's, that's something I believe you want us to be as a church. You want us to be a resource to be able to minister to the needs of others, those that are lacking, those that are hurting. And then this pastor shared with me about a young girl in this congregation that needed $300 to be able to pay for her tuition. Her mother had a strong conviction that she go to this particular Christian school. And, and he said, would you like to meet this family? They live nearby the church. And so we went into this very humble abode and I went in and I met this young girl who was probably about 17 years of age and, and aware of the need. I'm looking at her and said, Lord, if I had $300, I'd give it to her right now. But at that point, it was towards the end of the trip, and I'd, we had spent our resources, the resources to get there and do the projects that we were working on over there. And it was like I had nothing left. And I, I can remember saying, Lord, if you can get this to me, it will go through me. I'll give it directly to her. And later that same day, I met another man. And that man was talking to me about how God had just blessed him and how God had used him to uh, pray for somebody that uh, had been visiting from England. And uh, his wife could not conceive. And uh, because in the medical things, it was a, a thing where she could not conceive. Miraculously, she conceived after he had prayed over her and her husband. 
And so this man, out of his generosity, blessed this man. And so this man, I'm meeting him for the first time, and, and he said, I never meet a man of God that I don't bless them. And he said, open your hand. I opened my hand, and he had his hand, and he put something in my hand. Guess what it was? It was three $100 bills. And as soon as I looked at that, I realized, Lord, you just answered my prayer. If you can get it through me, you know, I, I'll be this resource to meet that need. And I, I told this pastor that I was with, let's go back to that lady right now. Let's go back to that family because we're going to present this gift to them. And, and we weren't able to do it at that, to- that time, but we did later. And we got the most beautiful letter back from that family, from that young girl, and how God met that need. And God's called us to be a resource. And that's all part of being a, a, a friend. Now, last week, uh, Sam did an amazing job talking about how we as refuge, our haven for those who are tired. And maybe you came in tired this morning, but our desire is for you to be refreshed. And this morning, Sam is ministering at Calvary Bible Church in Marshfield this morning. So uh, he couldn't be with us, but he sends his love and his greetings to us. And you know something I, I think that God has designed for the church, he's determined for the church to be a safe place for the tired and for the weary, which is also really a vision of our nation. When America was established, our founding fathers, uh, this was one of the guiding principles, the Christian principles that helped to establish this country. I don't know if you ever heard of Emma Lazarus. Uh, She's a historical figure that worked with Eastern European immigrants through her association with the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society. And in 1883... As part of the fundraising campaign for erecting the Statue of Liberty, she composed the words which are affixed to the statue's base. And it reads, and you may have seen this, you may have been there and and seen it in person. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. You know, as I, I look at that model, that statement, that was composed in those words that are engraved in, 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 in that um, at the base of that statue of liberty. I think that really is and should be part of what we do as a church and the church in general. That should reflect our heart in welcoming people that come through these doors so that we can lead them to Christ, so that they can find freedom. Because I believe people are yearning for freedom because they're bound in sin. They're bound in addiction. They're bound in a lot of things. They need to find freedom. And the only true lasting freedom is found in Christ. There's temporary fixes, but Jesus is the only one who can give you the freedom that you need and the freedom that you long for. So today's featured core value is entitled, A Friend Who Will Never Grow Weary. How can we, as a church, be a friend that will never grow weary? Because all of us get tired. Well, that tells me we have to tap into God's strength, his ability to enable us to be able to be a friend that can be a true friend to those that are in need. I want you to turn with me to Proverbs 18.24. And as we look at this passage, this is a key scripture that we're going to be looking at today. There's actually two parts of this. We're going to be looking at both 
uh, of these parts in addressing certain things. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. See, there's a principle there. If you're not going to be friendly, don't expect to have many friends, right? But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I'm reading this from the King James Version. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you want friends? Do you want friends? Yeah, we, we all want friends. And, you know, friendships are at different levels, uh, different degrees. You have close friends. You have distant friends. You have casual friends. These friends are at different levels that you may have. But all of us need friends. And, and the Bible talks about friendship in a lot of different aspects and capacities. But this particular scripture became real to me of, in 1978. That kind of dates me when I drove down to Tulsa and I attended Rainbow Bible College. I, I started my first year there. And I, I arrived there in August. It was 112 degrees. That was hot. I'd never experienced that type of heat. I mean, it was hot. And being from Wisconsin, I thought I got a good deal because I rented a place. Believe it or not, it was $199 a month. Good deal. It was about half the price of anything else I was, I was looking at at that time. And guess what? There was no air conditioning in there. I'm from Wisconsin. Who needs air conditioning, you know, at that time? Very few people had air conditioning in their homes, 1978. So quickly I realized uh, this was not $199. I think that's what it was. You know, I have to go back and check my receipts. Maybe it was a little more. Maybe that was my portion. Maybe it was $299. But no, I think it was $199 because it was such a good deal. I was bragging about it to everyone. Yeah. Anyway. So I didn't even mean to tell that part of the story. That, that's not even the point I want to get to, okay? But now you know about the Tulsa heat. It's probably hot there right now, too. Um, so I started to visit churches. Now I'm in the South. I'm thinking, this should be a wonderful experience. So I can remember the first church I went into. I went in there, I, you know, took a bulletin, sat down, and looking around, nobody talked to me. Nobody introduced themselves. I just sat there, went in, I went out. And I thought, boy, this was an unfriendly place. And that happened a couple of times. And about the third time that happened, and, and the, you know, and I tried the big church and the smaller church and the medium-sized church. And in every case, I didn't, I wasn't, you know, really, I really didn't feel welcomed. I didn't really feel like Hey, come on. You know, everybody was in their groups talking amongst each other, and I was just kind of the first-time visitor, awkward. And then the Lord dealt with me, said, you're the problem. It's not them. I says, no, Lord, churches should be friendly. Churches should be welcoming. And in becoming a pastor, that's become a strong conviction of me that I don't want anybody coming through these doors for the first time that will not be welcomed or uh, noticed or uh, talked to in some way or another, you know. So we, we, I believe, are a welcoming church. Anyway, so God said, you're the problem. I said, okay. And then he directed me to the scripture. He who has friends must show himself friendly. You want friends? You know, you're probably not, you're kind of a geeky guy. You know, people look at you, they don't know what to do. <laughs> so they just avoid you. <laughs> 
And believe it or not, I was a geek. I thank God for my wife. She's helped me in that department immensely, okay? And uh, uh, before, before it was Deb, it was Dolores Duda. I tell you, she uh, helped me to dress because she owned a, a shop. She would get suits, and she bought me clothes, and, and she, and she kind of outfitted me so I didn't look all mismatched and, and all that. Yeah, so thank you, Dolores, for those early years of ministry. Um, yeah. And she, she wanted her pastor to look good, not geeky, okay? Anyway, that's, I didn't mean to go with, there with that story either, okay? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so then, I can remember, I decided I'm going to go to this church in Broken Hill, not too far from where I was living. And it was the first Assembly of God church there. And I walk in, and I was 15 minutes early. And there weren't too many people there at that point, and I'm standing in the entryway, and there's a bulletin board, and I'm looking at, you know, advanced different things. And then somebody walks in, and I say, hello, my name is Matt Malik. I'm visiting for the first time. And they looked at me, really? <laughs> I said, how long have you been here? Oh, I've been going here for And then, would you like to sit with us? Oh, well, sure, I'd love to sit with you guys. And then, you know, guess what? I got invited over for lunch. I mean, I got to meet people. You know, and I realized, okay, what did I change? You know, not every, see, I, I'm such an introvert, and many of you wouldn't know that because I had to work on being an extrovert. And to be friendly was really hard for me. And it was really hard for me to be there and say, hi, my name is Matt Malik. This is my first time visit. Oh, really? Well, thank you for coming. And, and what happened, things began to change. And I realized, well, now I have friends because I've, begun to show myself friendly. And maybe that may be your issue. Why don't you have friends? Well, maybe you are ignoring this biblical principle. He who has friends must show himself friendly. You have to extend friendliness to be able to embrace friendship, okay? And so, um, yeah, that changed my life, I tell you. Now, let me give you just a little backdrop here. The Greek word found in the Bible for friend is phileo. And it's defined as a friend, someone dearly beloved, prized in a personal, intimate way, a trusted confidant, held dear in a close bond, a personal affection, a person who you like and enjoy being with. And so uh, that's uh, the basic definition of a friend and the word phileo. And again, I said there are different types of, and levels of friendships. And let me just ask you this question. Are you just a Facebook friend? Hmm. See, it's not just about face. It's not just about the face. Friendship is about the heart. Okay? And um, maybe they need to come up with heart book instead of Facebook. Okay? Uh, go a little deeper in, in, in the relationship. Because friendship is about the heart. God is concerned about what's happening in your heart. Now, sure, we want to be a Facebook friend, but it should not end there, right? It shouldn't end there. Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Snapchat, etc. There's hundreds of networking social websites. In fact, how many of you are, how many are you signed up for? You may, you may be signed up on several of them. I don't know. That's your business. But... <laughs> But there's more to maintaining friendships than checking your status, updating posts, uh, liking posts, 
commenting on posts, and that's all good. Um, other people, all, all the people now are getting more on Facebook, and so the young people don't like that, so they're moving more to Snapchat and those other things. Um, so, but, yeah, and, and I hope they don't come up with another one because, you know, you can only manage so many of those social media uh, websites, I tell you. And you can waste a lot of time there, too. Um, yeah, sometimes we need to fast uh, social media for a little while. And, and, and you know, if, let me tell you this. And, and this is, I, I got convicted on this. Um, the first thing when you wake up in the morning, if, it's, if you're checking your, your post and your status and your notifications, there's something wrong there. You know, you can do that. But engage in conversation with God first. Begin to talk to him first, okay? And, and, and that, I believe, will make a difference. Um, uh, think about it for a moment. We call it social media. Media is something that is broadcast. And to be a true friend, some things we're not to broadcast for everyone to see and hear, okay? And, and I think sometimes social media can be abused and misused in so many capacities. See, we cannot have a Facebook mentality when it comes to building true friendship, okay? You might say, well, you know, I like the post. Well, have you given them a call lately? Have you talked to find out how they're really doing? Well, maybe they're going through something. You know, people like to put their best out there. Um, and so it's, it may not be the real world. And, but sometimes people are too real, okay? So uh, there's two extremes to that, too. Something should never be posted. Um, <laughs> okay. I, all of you can think of something. You think, I can't believe they posted that. Okay, yeah, okay. All right. Uh, friendship is really building and nurturing relationships. And I believe that friendships require an unselfish effort to maintain if, if you want them to grow. If you want to maintain a, a friendship, there has to be un, an unselfish effort to maintain it so it can grow. I want to give you the characteristics of a true friend. What does it mean to have and be a true friend to someone? Um, how about the Toy Story theme song? You like that one? Yeah, how many of you know that song? You know, you, especially you younger ones, you probably saw that first, second, one time and time again. Now they came out with a third movie. I mean, fourth. Oh, I'm losing count here now. <laughs> but that was, you know, our kids grew up in Toy Story. And so we had one of those DVD players in our vehicle. And so I didn't always, because I'm driving most of the time, I would hear the soundtrack over and over and over again. And occasionally I'd say, I need to really sit back and watch this movie. So I, I know the soundtrack quite well, but um, to actually see the movie. But yeah, think about it. Some of the things that in these lyrics, 
uh, of this song. We stick together and can see it through because you have a friend in me. There's so many things. The road might be tough ahead, but you have a friend in me. We're going to do this thing together. We're going to do life together. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. It's interesting at, at times of like a funeral. You know, our dad passed away a year ago. Uh, Pastor Deb's mo- a year and a half ago, Pastor Deb's mom passed away this January. But my family's kind of scattered around the country. At the time of the funeral, we all came together, and we were here during a difficult time, and we stood together as a family. Um, but when the family goes back to their home and lives out their lives, um, it's really friends that love at all times that are in your everyday life and do life together with you. Those are the ones that are really your true friends. You may have siblings, but friendships can sometimes even be more important than your relation with your blood relatives, you know? And it doesn't necessarily have to be that way, but often it is. And uh, some of my closest friends, and um, my younger brother David is here, and we're close. We're really close as, as, as brothers. Um, but, you know, I have close friends with other people that are closer than some of my other siblings. And I guess that's okay, you know. But, yeah. So let's share some qualities and characteristics of a true friend. A true friend accepts you as you are. Yeah. They don't expect you to change overnight. Um, maybe they should help you to change, though, sometimes. Um, a true friend is dependable is there for you, is supportive, is honest, does not gossip about you. A true friend listens to you, is happy for you, rejoices with you, weeps with you. A true friend keeps in touch and is giving when you are in need. See, a true friend is there for you, so be there. They speak the right words at the right time. And uh, so we all need a friend. What does it mean? And I'm going to give you these points as we, uh, you know, we'll kind of wrap things up here a little quickly as, as time is, is getting away on us. What does it mean for us as refuge to be a friend who won't grow weary? Well, I believe that people are going to come through these doors weary of broken relationships, suffering from rejection, discouraged, defeated, and disappointed and in need of a friend. So this is the place where people can come and be refreshed by the company of people that they are with. See, there are people, and I just, you know, that I love being around. And, and I, I think that should be that way at Refuge. We should love being around the people that are here. And uh, as we gather together, this should be, be a place. Hey, good to see you and all that, you know. So I'm going to give you some points here. Point number one, and I'm going to give you all the points today. I think we have three or four. So, <laughs> Point number one, it starts by being friendly. It starts by being friendly, yeah, period. You can put that down, but to explain this a little more, it's taking interest, it's showing kindness and goodwill. Uh, but it doesn't stop there. And, and I think that at this community picnic next Sunday, 
There's going to be people that have never entered these doors that are going to show up on, on the picnic grounds. Uh, purpose to be a friend to them. Reach out to them. Show kindness. Um, you know, introduce yourself and, and uh, you know, get to know them and interact with them. Uh, being friendly may mean different things to different people. Uh, to a teenager, it may mean that everyone was in a good mood and no one was talking bad about the other, okay? Um, being cheerful and harmonious can be viewed as being friendly, okay? To an adult, to engage in a meaningful conversation where there's mutual respect and interest. Now, to a small child, there may be a smile, uh, an affirming comment, or an invitation to pass through Deb's office to invade her, her candy jar, okay? So she's got kids that line up there throughout the week and after services because they know if they smile real big, if they uh, greet Pastor Deb, she has a little surprise for them, okay? So just send everybody to her office after church. (laughs) Kidding. Point number two. What was point number one, remember? It starts by being friendly. Point number two, we must be welcoming. I believe welcoming takes being friendly a step further. Uh, Not just friendly. uh, Being friendly can be superficial and not really genuine. To be welcoming is to avoid superficiality, okay? It's being real and authentic with those that you meet. It's going the next step. So often we are more concerned about the impression we're making than uh, meeting that person and getting to know them and a little bit about them. We're more concerned about what we're going to say than about what they're saying. And, and that's, that's so common. That's why we tend to not remember someone's name. Um, and I'm guilty of that like anyone else. Now, what was your name? What was your name? You know, so, uh, but there's a little key for you to remember someone's name. You ready for this? If they introduce themselves and they say, my name is Matthew, then right away, or let me, Dave, stand up. Pretend we're meeting for the first time. Hi, what's your name? Dave. So the first thing you say their name. Dave, it's so good to meet you. So Dave, uh, uh, what do you do? Uh, you know, you use their name at least three times. If you speak their name three times, you are more likely to remember their name. Okay? That's just a little, you know, a clue to remembering names because we all need help in that department. All right? Are we good? <laughs> oh. Okay, Dave. You want to come up here and take over? <laughs> uh, he and Jen did such an outstanding job sharing yesterday at Becoming One. I mean, what a powerful testimony that they have. And so encouraging what they shared. All those services for the podcast for Becoming One will be online uh, in a few days. So. so realize that this is a meeting place, a place to meet people and build meaningful and lasting relationships. When you're welcoming, think about having guests that would come to your home. If somebody's going to show up in your home, you take measures to prepare for them. Whether it's a meal, you, you prepare that meal, or, or you make sure things are tidied. You are there to receive them, to welcome them into your home as a guest. This is our home, 
all of our home. And so we welcome people into our home to spend time with us. Inviting guests to small groups or connecting with them, connecting them to others. Like if you know somebody, oh, I know somebody else who's a paramedic. Yeah, let me introduce you to them. You know, those kind of connections. And Pastor Deb's a master at that, at connecting people uh, with others that share similar interests. So point number three, we must show genuine concern and care for others. And that's not real easy at times, especially if you're dealing with a lot of junk in your own life. Philippians 2.20 uh, the Apostle Paul is speaking of Timothy, and he's going to send Timothy um, to, to, the, uh, Philippi, to the group of people. And this is what he says concerning Timothy. He says, I have no one like him who will, genuinely, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. See, there's a genuine concern that we need to dis, uh, you know, uh, establish and demonstrate in our life. To be unselfish is one of the greatest challenges to human nature. It really is. See, it is a Christ-like characteristic for us to recognize the need, the interest, and the concerns of others. That's a Christ-like quality. And we take on Christ's nature in our relationship with him because he lives in us, and we take on his characteristics of that genuine concern and care for others. Uh, Further up in the chapter, and turn there with me, Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. The Apostle Paul, again, is challenging the Philippians. And he starts out by saying, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, that's quite the charge. And that's a charge that we speak over refuge. To complete, and Apostle Paul is talking as a spiritual leader here, and what will fulfill joy in him is to see this dynamic at work within their church, within their congregation. And he says, complete my joy, being the same mind. In other words, you need to take on this similar mindset. Not that you all think the same things, but you have this similar mindset, having the same love, being in full accord. Of one mind. In other words, you're in agreement. You have the same vision, the passion as a body of believers. And then it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Wow. When was the last time, and I, I, I know some of you do this very well, you put the interest of others before your own interest. And sometimes to your own harm because you empty yourself and you have nothing to give because you've given out and given out and given out. But the charge here is to consider others more significant than yourself. In other words, see them as important. And when you see them as important, make them feel important. I mean, we've been in places where we've been honored, like to where this is awesome. When we went to uh, Sydney, Australia, we we, uh, went to the Hillsong Church in the city. And Pastor Deb sent a little email saying, hey, we're going to be there as guests. When we showed up, a greeter came out. And and they must have checked on Facebook to find our faces. They said, Matt and Deb Malik, welcome. Well, this is our first time. We were blown away. 
they had somebody assigned to us that whole service to sit with us. They gave us a gift package and, you know, a Bible. And they gave us a tour of the facility after service. They gave us special seating. I'm thinking, this is off the charts. See, they had that mindset. They, you know, to make others feel important. And so it goes on to say in verse 4, let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. See, we can be so self-consumed in what interests us that we can be totally ignorant of the concerns and the needs around us. And, and that, that shouldn't be. Um, God wants to meet you at your point of need, make you whole so that you can be positioned to uh, begin to attend and address the interest of others. Point number four, and we'll wrap it up with this one. We are to introduce people to the greatest friend they could ever meet. And actually, this is the second part of Proverbs 18.24, and it states that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I submit to you that that friend is Jesus. Jesus wants to be your friend. A friend who sticks closer than a brother is, I believe, the role that Messiah plays in our life. In John 15, 13, Jesus made this statement to his disciples. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. See, that's a sacrificial love. Now, there are people that I would lay down my life for them at a drop of a hat. No, no question. You know, when it comes to my wife, my kids, the people I'm close to, people I love, and even for a total stranger, if it meant me sacrificing my life to save theirs, I would probably do it. I just have never been in that place for that to be tested. And, but Jesus, what's interesting, Jesus demonstrated this love but even took it a notch up because he not only laid down his life for his friends by dying on the cross for us, he laid down his life for his enemies. And I think of people that go to war and fight for freedom. They're laying down their lives so that we can live free. And they may not even know who you are. The people they're fighting for to secure freedom or to go into a country where there's people that are oppressed that need to be set free. They may not even speak the same language. They may not know anything about them except they're human beings like you and me. But they're going there and laying down their lives to free those people, people that may not even like them, people that don't look like them. And so when we think about that love, that's the love of God. And, and, and greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And so that's a love that I believe God wants to cultivate in your lives. Amen? Your friend may fail you, but Jesus won't. And, and we could get into that, but we won't. But Job, uh, Job 19, 14, he says, My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. And, and yet Job, in the end, prayed for his friends, and that uh, became his point of deliverance and victory. Jesus was a friend of the sinner with the intent to reach them with the Father's love. And, and Luke seven thirty four. the worship team can come up at this time. 
You know, this scripture, sometimes people look at it and they're maybe a little confused about it. But the scripture reads, the Son of Man, referring to Jesus, and Jesus saying this, he's speaking this himself, has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. Notice, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, by association, Jesus was accused of doing things that he wasn't doing because his intent was to be a friend to people who needed a friend. Tax collectors were hated and despised in the culture of the day. Nobody wanted to be their friend. They were despised people. The drunkards, those gluttons, people despised them in that day. Nobody wanted to be their friends. But Jesus became a friend to those who had no friends. And you may say, Pastor, you know, I don't know that I have friends. But guess what? Jesus wants to be your friend. In John 15, verses 14 and 15, Jesus makes this statement. It's so powerful. Again, to his disciples, he said, You are my friends if you do what I command you. Wow. Did you know you can be his friend? No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all that I've heard from my father. I've made known to you. Now think about this. Jesus is basically inviting his disciples and anyone else to be his friend. And the only requirement is is to respond to his commands, to believe on him, to trust him. And he will take and disclose whatever the Father shares with him, he will share with you. In other words, he's going to give you stuff that you could never get any other way because he wants to be your friend. See, the one, one thing about a real, true, close friend, they open up, they share, they share their heart. They don't hold back. They share. That's the level of friendship that Jesus wants with us, to share everything he has with us. Whatever the Father shares with him, he's ready and willing to share with us. And that's an intimacy and a closeness that is so incredible that God wants to engage with us in. And not only does Jesus want to be our friend, but we see it's the heart of the Father because they are one. In James 2.23, the Scripture states, and the Scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You want to be called a friend of God? Do you? You want to be called a friend of God? Believe. Put your trust in him. Put your hope in him. And you can become a friend of God. Jesus invites us into a friendship with him. Some of you may say, you know, I know my friendship with Jesus isn't what it should be. But today it's going to begin to grow and take on a whole new dimension. Or maybe you might be here and say, Pastor, I cannot say honestly that I have a friendship with Jesus. I've not received him as my friend. I don't have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 
So with every head bowed, nobody looking around right now, I want to extend an invitation to you. If you, you are here and you say, Pastor, I don't know that my life is right with God. If I were to die, I'm uncertain whether I'd go to heaven or hell. I really don't know. And you might say, I'm okay, but are you okay with God? You might say, I'm all right, but can you say, I'm all right with God? And I can't tell you that you're okay. I can't answer that for you or assume that you are and tell you that you're okay when you're not. If you're here and you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to make certain that I'm okay with God, that I'm in the right relationship with Him. And, and we know that Jesus died for our sins, and He is the Savior of the world. There's salvation in no other. It's only through trust in Jesus Christ, not Muhammad, not Buddha, not any other God or any other figure. Only Jesus saves. If you're here, say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Lift your hand. You want to be certain. You want to know without a doubt. Thank you for lifting those hands. Let's stand up together. And I appreciate you lifting those hands because there's a seriousness, there's an intention that you want to make sure. And, and a lot of us, probably the majority of us, have already made our peace with God. There's that certainty. If you know that, yes, I know I'm okay with God. Lift your hand. Amen, all of you. Yes, there's many believers here. But we're going to lead you all in the believer's prayer. And, and for these ladies that lifted their hands as well, we're going to invite you to pray this prayer with a heartfelt conviction. And God is going to do something so glorious in your life as you do. Repeat after me, Heavenly Father. I come before you. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. I believe that he raised from the dead so that I could have forgiveness of sins, so that I could receive eternal life. Lord Jesus, I put my faith in you. I put my trust in you. Come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. I repent. Forgive me of all of my sins. Make my life what you want it to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to worship God in a moment here. We're going to sing the song Reckless Love. And, and there's something about this song that's so powerful. That God will do nothing. Well, he will stop at nothing to reach you. Whatever it takes. And he proved that through his sacrificial death on the cross. By laying his life down for you and for me. And after we worship, we're going to invite you forward for prayer, if you raised your hands, or if you have any other need, if you desire your friendship to grow, and even for you to be a catalyst to live out this core value that we as a church 
can be a friend to those who need a friend and a friend that will never grow weary. God bless you. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect further with Refuge, feel free to go online to wearerefuge.net or on social media at wearerefuge. 